I'm going to recruit some volunteers here this morning. I guess I could, technically if I recruit these volunteers, they're not really volunteers, but <laughs> you're going to have to live with that this morning because I'm not going to just, uh, you know, pick and choose here. So I'm going to draft. That's right. I'm drafting people. So let's see. Let's start with you, Grace. You come on up here. Uh, Debbie, how about you? Would you come up? Let's see. Uh, Jim, would you come? And uh, Marin, would you come? And how about you, Dave? You guys come up. Now, I guess, you know, I thought about this too late. If I had been smart, I would have done this. Um, I would have done this on the PowerPoint, but I thought of doing it with the whiteboard. Come on up on stage. You don't have to be shy. I don't bite. Actually, Tom suggested that uh, when, I, when he brought this board up, he said, is there any way you could be behind that? And I said, yeah. So I just want to make sure everybody sees this before we do our little experiment here. I have three lines. Okay, I have three lines. Everybody see that? Okay, that's right. And, there, and Jim astutely noted that they're numbered one, two, and three. See, that's why, that's why I recruited Jim, because I knew he was that smart. Okay, now I want you to all come and, and uh, kind of get a good look at the three lines. Get, get a good look at the three lines. Can everybody see them clearly? Is this anything like Wheel of Fortune? No, it's nothing. As a matter of fact, there's no prizes at all involved, Jim. You still want to do it? Okay. <laughs> okay. Now, I have a very simple task for the, the five volunteers. Can you, can you all see them? Come on, come, come on just come this way. Come this way. Come this way. Closer. They, you know, I did shower this morning. I don't quite understand. Come closer. Come closer. Come. 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 It's like herding cats. <laughs> okay. I have a very simple task for our volunteers or draftees this morning. What I would like them to do is vote for the longest line. I want them to vote for the longest line. So when I point to one line, I want you to raise your hand if you think it's the longest line. If I point to another, I want you to point and I want you to raise your hand, okay? All right. First one I want to do is line two. How many of you think line two is the longest line? No, no votes for line two. Okay, next one I want to do is line three. How many of you think line three is the longest line? Okay. How many think line one is the longest line? You all get a good look at these? Okay. All right. Let's hear it for our volunteers. Please have a seat. All right. Now, this is a good illustration for what we're going to talk about this morning because no matter how Grace came out on this, I thought we might have a good object lesson to begin our look at influence and conformity. Now, if grace had gone against the tide, despite the pressure of these adults of this church, now I have to tell you, the adults were in on it. I'm sorry, grace. I deceived you. Will you forgive me? <laughs> I'm in trouble with grace now. They were in on it. Now, if Grace had gone against the tide, despite the influence of the adults who were in on it, it would have illustrated that despite the influence, we need not conform to the influence of those around us, especially when those around us are wrong. We don't have to conform. We're not powerless. It is a choice. Now, if Grace, since Grace did conform, uh, it was clear that she did what all of us have been subject to at one time or another. 
she would have revealed to us, she did in fact reveal to us that she's quite normal. You know? She's quite normal. She didn't have the emotional energy to challenge the crowd, not just the crowd, but these four adults in the church that she respects. Okay, so Grace had a very tough task here this morning. In a very similar experiment that was conducted by a psychologist, about 75% of those who were not in on the experiment conformed to the group. So Grace, you're in good company. A lot of people would have conformed because the rest of the group said, well, gee, that's the longest. And even though, Grace, did you, did you know or you just couldn't see? You, you, what, what did you think? Yeah, you, she, she knew that line was, and, and so when everybody else voted for the other one, you were thinking probably, these people aren't as smart as I thought they were. <laughs> but being a respectful young woman, she decided to go with the crowd. So, now this experiment was done with teenagers, as it was here this morning, but it's a reality that even adults have to wrestle with, conforming to this world. We all have to wrestle with this reality of conforming to the world. Why else would Paul admonish us in Romans chapter 12, verse 2? Do not be conformed to this world. Why else would Proverbs tell us in chapter 4, verse 23, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. We have these admonitions, we have these commands in Scripture because we are subject to influence. And because we are subject to influence in almost every area of our lives, we have to choose daily what influences we will allow into our lives and what we will either reject or at least be cautious about or freely receive. Now, here's a definition of influence. It's the power to affect, control, or manipulate something or someone. It's the ability to change the development of fluctuating things, such as conduct, thoughts, or decisions. Now, there's another interesting definition that I want to look at, and it relates to, of all things, astrodynamics. It's called the sphere of influence. And in astrodynamics and astronomy, it's the spherical region around a celestial body where the primary, the primary gravitational influence on an orbiting object is that body. Now, let me explain this. That's usually used to describe the areas in our solar system where planets dominate the orbits of the surrounding objects, such as moons, despite the presence of the much more massive but distant sun. The sun's a whole lot bigger. It has a whole lot more gravitational pull, but the planets are closer, so the moons orbit around those planets. Now, let's just for a moment consider the spiritual implications of the astrodynamic definition of sphere of influence. When we're conforming to the world, we might look at ourselves as moons. Despite the presence of a much more massive, much more powerful sun, and we could substitute S-O-N for S-U-N in this illustration, a planet which is nearby influences or dominates our orbit, keeping us conforming to an orbit around that planet, rather than the significantly larger influence of the Son of God, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, how does that look in real life? As followers of Christ, we know that the driving influence of our lives should be, in this analogy, the Son, right? The things of God as outlined in His Word, which tells us all that we need to know 
about faith and practice. But the reality is, because of the way that we live our lives and conduct our lives, there are things, like planets in this analogy, that are closer to us. And these things often have a greater influence on our thinking and thus on our behavior than the simplicity of purity of devotion to Christ. We see this passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians 11.3, where Paul writes, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. By his craftiness, the enemy of our souls often uses things, the things of the world, to deceive us. And that influence can lead us astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Now, this influence can take many different forms. And we're going to look at just a few of those this morning. You know what? It can be the people we choose as friends. Now, I want to be very careful here because... I believe that Christians should befriend people who are not Christians. But I also think that we have to be tremendously aware that who we hang with has a huge impact on our thinking. It has an impact on our attitudes, and it has an impact on our behavior, if we're honest with ourselves. I think Christians need to have non-Christian friends because I believe that's how most of their non-Christian friends will have an opportunity to come to Christ. But I also think that we have to be honest with and aware of ourselves and our weaknesses and our limitations. If we don't have Christian friends to hold us accountable, to model godly attitudes and behaviors that we can live up to, then we put ourselves in danger. We will be influenced. That's a fact. We will be influenced. Our only option is whether we'll subject ourselves primarily to good and godly influence or will we subject ourselves to bad and evil influence. If we find a good balance, I think we're in a better position to be able to obey Paul's command, do not be conformed to this world. This influence we must be aware of can even come through some things that we might consider good, quote-unquote, good sources. Sometimes the fact is we're a little bit too undiscerning when we consume things just because they are labeled Christian. Things like Christian books, music, movies, teaching, etc., just because someone else calls it Christian, just because it's for sale at your local Christian bookstore, doesn't mean it's good for our hearts. Discernment is a key skill that we as followers of Christ must develop under the direction of the Holy Spirit. But here's another key to asking this question. What is our ultimate authority? You know what? We've been very strong on this in this church. Is our authority what sounds good, feels good, looks good to us? Is it popular opinion? Or is it what the world thinks is okay or right? Or is it the never-changing, living and active, and sharper than a two-edged sword, word of God. We need to be, and we've talked about this before too, we need to be like the Bereans described in Acts 17. One version of this verse that I'm going to read here in a second says that they were of more noble character than the others. Another says they were more noble-minded. Another says more fair-minded. 
Any of these definitions of the Bereans in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, is definitely a compliment. They were being complimented, and it's something we can attain to. Here's what the New Living Translation says. And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. And they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. When you hear a teacher or a preacher on the radio or on television, when you read an email newsletter, when you listen to a podcast, when you read a Christian book or magazine, be a Berean. Be a Berean. Now, there are some sources that I think naturally over time you will come to trust a little bit more, and maybe perhaps you won't feel the need to be quite as much of a critical thinker. But I hope that that trust even will be based on a track record resulting from your search of Scripture and your consulting with other people that you already trust to see if they are teaching the truth. And you know what? I don't think we should ever, ever, ever jettison our critical thinking caps completely, even on Sunday mornings here at TCF, even when we have a known and trusted source of teaching. If influence can be negative even from supposedly good sources, clearly we live in a world where there are many negative influences that can lead us astray. Again, that's why we have the scriptural admonition to guard our hearts. That's why we are commanded, do not conform to this world. Consider the media. I'd classify the media as including everything from TV to movies to music and entertainment of all kinds, as well as even the news. And I'm about to try to unravel something here this morning that you may have lived by for years. I realize that in some way I'm really treading on rather challenging terrain here. But let me say this. You know what? It's never just a movie. It's never just a movie. We can add that about it's never just a song. It's never just a television show. We can go on and on into the various forms of media. We tend to take the attitude sometimes, hey, I'm just going to kick back, I'm going to relax, and I'm just going to enjoy this entertainment, whatever it happens to be, and I'm not even going to bother to think. Or I'm going to learn about the news. I'm going to watch this movie, whatever that happens to be. And honestly, you know what? I do that sometimes, too, to some degree, but I never shut off my brain. I enjoy movies or TV as a form of relaxation, so I have to tell you I'm not a legalist here this morning saying you should never engage these things in in our culture. In fact, if you've been here a while, you may remember that from time to time I've actually tried to make the case that it's important to understand our culture for the purpose of being able to communicate in the language and norms of our culture. And if you don't even know what's out there, if you don't happen to know American Idol from Desperate Housewives, you're limiting your ability to relate to segments of our culture. We know that uh, it doesn't mean that we need to watch everything that's out there. I'm not saying that either, okay? But we do need to be well-versed in what's going on in our culture. Some of that we can just do by reading. I don't think I've ever seen an episode of Desperate Housewives, but I can tell you what the show's about because I've read about it. So it doesn't mean we need to watch everything, but we do need to be well-versed just as Paul was on Mars Hill, where he demonstrated understanding of the Athenian artists and their poetry. So I'm not saying never consume anything like this. I'm not saying never watch TV or go to movies. 
I don't believe that we can take a hide-our-heads-in-the-sand approach to pop culture because you know what? It's out there and it's everywhere. It's almost unavoidable. Now, I do think there are lines we should not cross, but I'm not going to tell you what those lines are here this morning. That would just be me making rules that we have to live by, and we don't live by the law. We live by grace. And, there, and, and besides, there's no value in setting rules that we have to follow, okay? So even though I don't think there's lines we should cross, what I am saying is when you do consume these things, guard your heart. When you do consume these things, do not conform. Because there is a message in every movie, in every TV show, song, etc., etc. Some messages are okay. And some messages are definitely not okay. But we should go into this consumption of popular culture with our eyes wide open. We should go into our consumption of movies and television and music with a discerning, even a critical perspective. Because if we don't, because if we approach the media regularly without any kind of discernment, we will conform to the messages that are in our media. Maybe unconsciously, not purposely, but we will conform. I remember watching a TV show once and pointing out a clear element of an unbiblical worldview to someone, and this person saying to me, well, you ruined it for me. You just ruined it for me. Why do I have to think about it? Why can't I just enjoy it? Well, I realize that's a risk I'm taking here this morning with all of you. Barb and I are Trekkies. We like sci-fi. And we've watched pretty much everything related to Star Trek since we were 10 years old. But I'm also very aware that the creator of Star Trek, Gene Roddenberry, was a card-carrying member of the American Humanist Society. His vision for the Star Trek universe is utopian, and it's based on an understanding of humanity that people are basically good. It says that man is the measure of all things, and with enough time and enough learning and enough understanding, we can overcome poverty, we can overcome racism, we can overcome war and all the other ills that plague mankind. Of course, the reality is we're sinners, and we are hopeless without Christ, regardless of how much we learn, how much we are educated. Without Christ, we may be occasionally able to make a dent in humanity's most serious problems for a season, but a lasting impact can only come through his redemptive power at work in and through his followers. The only utopia we can expect is on the other side of eternity. I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I think that's the reality that Scripture teaches. So when I go into a Star Trek movie or watch a Star Trek TV show, I know full well that this worldview is very strongly at work in the stories. It's the agenda of the writers and producers to communicate this worldview. Now, it does get me thinking, but it doesn't conform me. It doesn't shape me because I'm guarding my heart with discernment. I know that I'm being preached to, in a sense, but I have a mind that's being transformed as it's being renewed so I can see through that preaching and I can see the truth and I can distinguish that from error. Influence is an interesting topic to consider, especially when we relate this to the media which I believe is clearly the strongest source of influence in our culture today. How could we think otherwise 
How could we think that it's not the strongest source? ABC News recently reported this. If a dog is a man's best friend and diamonds are a woman's, what is a child's? Increasingly, it seems the answer is technology. According to a new study from the Kaiser Family Foundation, the average child between the ages of 8 and 18 spends more than 53 hours hooked up to some form of media every week. And that's not double-counting time for multitasking. Breaking it down, youth spend nearly five hours watching TV and movies every day, three hours surfing the Internet and playing video games, two and a half hours listening to music, an hour and a half texting, and 30 minutes talking on cell phones. This is a chance for everybody, whether a parent or a media executive, to stop and take a look at the enormous role media plays in a kid's life, says Vicki Rideout, vice president at the Kaiser Family Foundation. It has become such a part of the air we breathe that it can accumulate at rates we don't notice. Isn't that true? All those children become adults, so this isn't just an Ill issue for children. In fact, we see, according to Nielsen, the uh, television ratings company, that the average American, adults, children combined, watches more than four hours of TV each day. That translates into about 28 hours a week or two months of nonstop TV watching every year. And then if you translate that into a 65-year lifespan, that person will have spent nine years glued to the television. What could we do with nine years? Think about that. How can anything we consume that much not have an impact on what we think and what we do? Movies and television and music, they impact the way we think. One reality is that there's a desensitization that takes place over time. Things that were formerly considered sin are okay now because of the power of story and the long-term effect of seeing something presented in a certain way over a period of time. Newsweek magazine had this report. Over time, the image of gay people on television became less lavender and more gray, as multifaceted as the five men on Queer Eye for the Straight Guy or the ladies of the L Word. By bringing all these diverse folks into America's living rooms, TV helped bring gays into the mainstream. A survey by the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation found that of the people who say their feelings toward gays and lesbians had become more favorable in the past five years, about one-third credited that in part to characters they saw on television. It's an impact, isn't it? What we do when we watch a movie or a television show is we allow ourselves to see the world through someone else's eyes. Now, you know, there certainly is a place for seeing the world through someone else's eyes, to see and understand how someone thinks about something. That's important. That's not unimportant. But there's also a danger, especially when we allow this seeing through someone else's eyes, someone else's worldview, so often and so much and so regularly. That whole idea of seeing the world through someone else's eyes is only enhanced in a movie theater. Now think about this for a second. At least with television, you can see what's going on around you. You might be able to look out the window. You might be able to see the room around you. But in a movie theater, it's all right there in front of you. And unless someone behind you is kicking your seat or somebody's talking on the cell phone, that can be distracting, 
But otherwise, the movie theater experience is totally consuming. It's designed to be that way. It's designed to be a total immersion experience. The huge screen, the massive sound, it's all there to help those of us who are watching absolutely lose ourselves in the story. The problem is that completely losing yourself in the story can be dangerous. Take Avatar, please. Have most of you seen, have many of you seen Avatar? Just a a handful of you, okay. It seems destined to make more money than any movie ever. It's made an amazing amount of money, and I did see it. I saw it not just in a theater, but in an IMAX theater on a screen three stories tall in 3D. I have to tell you, it was amazing. It was stunning. It was incredibly engrossing. I've never been in a movie where I felt as close to actually being there as when I saw this movie. But I have to tell you that for a totally undiscerning viewer, Avatar is a whole lot more powerful a communicator than this sermon or any other sermon you will ever hear. And I'm not really even referring necessarily to the political viewpoint that was very clear in the movie. It was communicated very powerfully. We can agree or disagree with that. But I'm thinking about primarily is the religious viewpoint that is espoused in this movie. This movie was an unabashed evangelistic event for pantheism. It truly was. Even a New York Times writer recognized this. So this is not just Bill picking on this movie. Avatar is Cameron's. That's James Cameron, the writer, director, producer of this movie. It's his long apologia for pantheism, a faith that equates God with nature and calls humanity into religious communion with the natural world. Now, of course, it's okay to communicate that perspective. We live in a country that, at least for now, you can espouse pretty much any kind of religious belief or view. And if a filmmaker does it entertainingly, it will draw an audience, as we've seen. But the undiscerning believer in Christ can get sucked into such a powerful and manipulative story and walk away with ideas that are clearly anti-Christian. Just a little molding and shaping into the world's image just a little more conformed to this world. This is a place where we must guard our hearts. It's not as if there's nothing that Christians can affirm in a movie like Avatar. No follower of Christ, for example, would approve the way the evil corporation and the evil military in this movie just confiscated whatever they wanted without regard to life or property. And the heroes of the movie did give of themselves sacrificially. Surely we can affirm that. But that's the challenge of the power of story, especially when stories are well told and compelling like this one was. Just as each story must contain a bit of God's goodness, so each one is, without exception, marred and flecked with evil. These stories can't escape evil's corruption any more than any of us can live sin-free lives. Our stories aren't any better than we are. All of this makes stories, particularly movies, an inspiring and frightening art form. They reflect the goodness of God and his creation, while at the same time twist that goodness into something else. Cinema educates, inspires, tempts, and corrupts, sometimes within the confines of the same 99-minute film. 
And sometimes it can be awfully hard to tell while you're swept up in the story when you're being moved by God or when you're being swayed by something else. The world's influence has always been an issue for Christians. So Paul tells us in Romans 12 too, do not be conformed. The idea here in this passage of Scripture is to stop being fashioned. Don't have the habit of being pressed into a mold or shaped by the world's influences. That's what he's saying when he says, do not be conformed to this world. The word for conformed here recognizes that there is a power or force which molds and shapes character and conduct in which this age or this world, depending on which uh, translation you're looking at, does in fact exercise in someone's life. Paul, in effect, recognizes the power of social groups, the power of cultural norms, the power of institutions, traditions, to mold and influence patterns of behavior and attitude. I'm convinced that if any of the forms of media that we have today were around 2,000 years ago when Paul wrote this, he'd have them, them in mind just as much as the things he had in mind in his day and time. The original language, however, also indicates that human responsibility is clearly involved here, that the individual can accept or resist this influence, can acquiesce in or resist such behavior shaping and molding. So ultimately, the idea expressed here is stop allowing yourself to be conformed. Matthew Henry said, all the disciples and followers of the Lord Jesus must be nonconformists to this world. Another way to phrase this is Christ-centered nonconformity. You know what? It's non, not nonconformity just for the sake of being different. We see a lot of people do that. They just want to be different so they don't conform. But it's con- nonconformity for the sake of being transformed into holy followers of Jesus. This is a hard thing, isn't it, Grace? This is a hard thing because our flesh is naturally conformist. So at least when it comes to movies and television, let me give you these four rules of cinematic engagement that I found in my research for this morning's message. First of all, be aware and be wary. Be aware and wary. Be aware of your own strengths and weaknesses. If you know that there's a certain kind of movie or a certain kind of entertainment that tempts you, tempts you wrongly, don't see it. Stay away from it. We're not animals. We can make decisions like that, can't we? Secondly, don't ever passively absorb a movie. Chew on it. Think about it. Talk about it. Remember, there's no such thing as just a movie. There is no such thing. Third, if you're a parent, be sure to set clear and cautious guidelines for what you'll let your children watch. Of course, that changes as your children get older. When you approve of a film for them, make sure to talk about it with them. Movies can trigger great, tremendous teaching opportunities. And if you take advantage of them, you can cement in your kids' minds that you really do care about how they spend their time. Finally, let Scripture be the tiebreaker when something lands close to the line. When you just are questionable, gee, is this good to do or not? Let Scripture be the tiebreaker. And I would say if you're in doubt, do without. If you're in doubt, if you think that there's a question that this might be a problem, 
Your heart is the core of your being. We tend to separate heart and mind, but in Scripture, heart and mind are inextricably entwined with one another. Your heart sets your attitudes. It's the center of your motivations. It determines how you think. It contains your deepest convictions, and it also directs your emotions. That's why Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart. And that's why guarding your heart is absolutely critical. So here are three ways you can think about to begin to do that. First of all, keep your heart full of the right things. You know, the very purpose for Bible Bowl is to get our children into a lifelong habit of protecting their hearts by keeping it full of God's Word. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11 says this, How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's the theme of Bible Bowl. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. But you know what? This isn't just a verse for Bible Bowl kids. This is for all of us as followers of Christ. Secondly, protect your heart by keeping it pure. Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And then this quote, pure thinking will require me to pursue a close relationship with Christ who is pure and holy and allowing his spirit to transform my heart. Purity comes from an outside source. I can't just clean up my act. God's word and God's spirit will act together on my heart, cleanse it, fill it, and then control it. And finally, keep your heart undivided. That's what Psalm 86.11 talks about. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. We cannot do this alone. It takes our cooperation with the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and a willingness to learn the way God teaches and to walk in the truth that he does, in fact, give us. But you know what? By his grace, we can succeed in guarding our hearts. We can succeed in not being conformed to this world. So the question is, as we prepare to close this morning, what is influencing you? What is shaping you? What is molding you? What is squeezing you? Are you letting the world's influence mold you and shape you into its worldview and then inevitably into its attitudes and its behaviors? Or are you doing what Paul says we should do in the second part of Romans 12 too, which we didn't even read this morning? That's another sermon altogether. Are we daily putting ourselves into position to be transformed, which is what it says in the second part of Romans 12 too, to be transformed by the renewing of our mind? Are you being conformed into the world's mold because your lukewarm or your unbelieving friends have the greatest impact on your life and your thinking? Or because you're sucked into the messages of our popular media culture, teased by the attractiveness of these messages without considering the full fruit and the logical conclusion of what you're being taught? Or are you being transformed by the renewing of your minds? 
Are you daily yielding your body as a living sacrifice with an undivided heart, wholly devoted to Jesus as the Lord of your life? I want you to ask yourself these kinds of questions this morning. I want you to think about it. I want you to be honest with yourself this morning and respond to the Holy Spirit's prompting as we pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for these very clear admonitions. Do not conform to this world and guard your hearts. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would help each of us to be honest with ourselves when we are being conformed, when we are being shaped and molded and pressed into the world's worldview, the world's way of looking at things, Father. Sometimes it can happen almost unconsciously. We pray that your Holy Spirit would help us, Father, to be very aware when these things are happening to us. And, Father, when we do consume popular culture, when we do listen to friends, may it be for your plans and purposes so that we can engage culture, so that we can engage our friends, not so we can just sit back unthinkingly, consume these things, and let them mold us and shape us into the image of the world. Father, give us discernment. We know that even this is a gift of your Holy Spirit. Give us discernment, Father. Help us know what to stay away from. Help us know what to consume, but to consume cautiously. Help us know what we can consume freely. But, Lord, give us discernment. Give us an undivided heart. Help us to keep our hearts pure, Father God. Help us to keep our hearts full of your word, knowing that your word richly dwelling in us, will protect us from being molded and shaped into the world's image to be conformed. Father, we do pray for that transformation that your word talks about, that transformation, that renewing of our minds, Father God, that changes us into the image and likeness of Christ and not into the image of the world. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, that we don't have to go there. We don't have to be conformed, that it is a choice. And we pray, Father, you'd give us the grace and the strength to stand firm when we do have to make choices and to make godly choices. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.